0: Probably, um, one of the more difficult things for people in the church to grab a hold of. Um, and it's so important that not only does Jesus say it when, when he's teaching us how to pray, the very first point he hits on after he teaches the Lord's Prayer is this point again, the point of forgiveness. In fact, the last part of Matthew 18, and we'll go there, is, is a parable. About unforgiveness, and uh, so in in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, "And you know, Father, forgive our debts, also as we also have forgiven our debtors." Then in verse 14, which he is end of the Lord's Prayer, he says this: "For if you forgive men for their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men," then your Father will not forgive your transgression. Let's pray. Father, we just ask for revelation, understanding of the power of forgiveness. God, the necessity of it, not only to receive it, but to practice it. And to practice it in sincerity, recognizing the power of forgiveness in our life. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So... And this is a hard one, in my opinion, there's teachings, there's a couple of hard teachings that Jesus gives, but this is a hard one. In my opinion, there are many in the church um, who face a great risk of losing heaven. And I'm not talking about losing salvation, that's a whole different topic of Hebrews 8, but I'm, I'm talking about losing heaven and, and and I'm just going to go on what Jesus says. I, I think that we need a clear understanding. And one way we lose heaven is to hold fast to an unforgiving spirit, an unforgiving heart. And um, there, are, there have been times, and one particular time in the last few years, where I have really, really wrestled with forgiveness. Uh, forgiveness of a person who caused incredible pain. Incredible hurt, um, incredible brokenness to a number of people, and someone who I had trusted deeply. And uh, so having to walk through that whole issue of forgiveness. But people who live that way with an unforgiving spirit, they're not going to go to heaven because heaven is the dwelling place of forgiven people. So, Listen closely. We do not get to heaven unless we receive the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. We cannot go to heaven if we're not forgiven of our sin because God has no fellowship, has no fellowship with sin. There is no place for unrighteousness in the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. So if we hold fast to an unforgiving spirit, Jesus said, and he says it again, this, this parable Matthew 18, Jesus says, if we hold on to unforgiveness, our Father in heaven will not forgive us. That is such a strong black and white statement, and there are many, many in the church who do not understand that. I know people in my own family, I'm not talking about my kids, but in my old broad family, I've heard one of them say with their mouth. I can never forgive that person. And according to Scripture, that is a very dangerous place to be. And according not to Scripture, but according to Jesus. Because to have an unforgiving spirit, according to Scripture, proves that we have never had the indwelt spirit of Christ living in our heart. Because the only way that indwelt spirit of Christ can abide in us is through the confession of our sin and through the acceptance of his forgiveness, so Jesus, <clears throat> I didn't put all of Matthew 18 out of my Bible today, and and uh, shock, I know. It's not digital, and it's actually I've, I've actually colored in it, so it's it's paper. But we all know, um, most people know in the church. They know the conversation, they probably don't remember who asks, but they know the conversation of a disciple who comes to Jesus and says, how many times should we forgive? And people always can tell you 70 times 7. So it's Peter, um, which that in and of itself says so much about Peter. If you have to ask the Lord how many times you have to forgive someone, we pretty much can tell part of Peter's personality is his intolerance of people who do things to harm him. And so he comes to Jesus and uh, he says, Lord, this is uh, Matthew 18, verse 21. Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. So Peter thought he's being generous. He says, seven times. That's, that's pretty good, isn't it? And this is what Jesus says I do not say to you up to seven times, but 70 times seven. And for your math majors, that's 490 times. Therefore, Now, this is where, again, remember, whenever Jesus teaches a parable, he always begins, the kingdom of heaven is like. Jesus starts this parable, he says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like. So, Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you an illustration, a story, to help you understand what forgiveness is about and how God sees forgiveness in his kingdom, not according to man's ways, but according to God's ways in his kingdom, so... The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents, which would be like a million dollars today. This guy has a million dollar debt. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. The servant, therefore, fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me. I'll pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, like ten bucks. And he laid his hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant felt he would not. But he went and threw him into prison, which was a debtor's prison, till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved. And they came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master... After he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. So my heavenly Father also will do to each of you who from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. And that's a pretty powerful story. So Jesus' point is this, that if we hold fast to an under, unforgiving spirit, we're going to be turned over to tormentors. We will lose heaven. We will gain God's wrath. And it's not because we earn heaven as some sort of merit because we forgive people. That's not the point. The point is because holding fast to an unforgiving spirit proves that we do not trust Jesus. If we trust him, we will not spurn or put away his way of life. If we trust him, we won't take his forgiveness for our great debt and hold it, withhold it from small debtors. If we refuse to forgive someone who has harmed us, and look at I don't care how great the harm is, and, and we'll talk about consequences of sin. But if we don't forgive, what it says is this, is we never fully receive the forgiveness of Jesus. Because if we fully received and fully understood the debt that Jesus forgave us when we received salvation, there is no way we could ever withhold forgiveness of anybody else. So Jesus is saying, the one who may follow after me, who may be in the pews on Sunday morning, who may be part of community, but who has a bitter heart, who cannot forgive people, that person has never fully accepted the forgiveness of Jesus because if they had, there is no way they would ever find any reason to justify withholding forgiveness of anybody else. Even Jesus, on the cross, Those torturers, those tormentors, those one who had beat and bruised and scourged him from the cross. He says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And then and then he took the father's wrath for your sin and my sin. So if we don't fully appreciate and fully understand and fully receive the forgiveness that was given to us on the cross, We will never be able to fully forgive and understand what it means to forgive somebody else. So Paul says it this way. Ephesians 4.32, he says, Forgive each other just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. God's forgiveness is underneath ours. God's forgiveness is basically the support for our forgiveness. So in other words, again, if you refuse to give somebody, you're not allowing the forgiveness that you receive from Jesus to uphold you, regardless of the circumstance and the situation, and to offer forgiveness. We don't give it to others, holding on to an unforgiving spirit. We're not trusting God with our lives. There is no justification for anything to not be forgiven. When you recognize that when Jesus bore your sin on the cross, you need to realize that every sin you have committed, secretly or openly, regardless of what it is, there is forgiveness for you because of the cross. There is grace for you. There is mercy for you. And Jesus is saying that if you say you've received grace and mercy, and you say you fully embrace the forgiveness of your sin because of my work, and then you turn around and you, I mean, I can can go down a list of very vile things that even as I say them, it would be so hard for me to reconcile in my heart and forgive. But we've heard stories of families who have lost children, whose children have been murdered, who've been kidnapped, who have been raped, and Christian families who have gone to the prison and have forgiven the perpetrator. How could they do that? How could they possibly forgive someone who had done such a dastardly deed? It's because those people fully understand and walk in the full appreciation of the forgiveness they received from Christ. They recognize that as vile as what that person had done to their family member their forgiveness of him is nothing compared to the forgiveness that we receive from Christ. And so, what is forgiveness? You know, it says it says this, the the master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. So my heavenly Father will also do will do to you if each of you from his heart from his heart does not forgive his brother's trespasses. And so there's a key here. It's not from your mouth. It's from your heart. You can't just say, I forgive you, and underneath your breath go, not really. You can't just say, I forgive you, and in your heart, hold on to bitterness. So here's, here's what Scripture says about forgiveness. First of all, it says that we are to resist thoughts of revenge. I have to tell you, in, in, my, in my secret world, I'm a vengeful person. In, in my secret thought world, there are people I would love to be able to take revenge upon. Um, and that's not a good thing. But So there are a lot of times I have to have conversations with the Lord and just say, look it, I know it's not my job and I'm not going to do it, but maybe you could hurry your job up a little. Um, You know, but here's what scripture says, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So in other words, what Jesus has said here, you cannot exercise revenge against somebody who has harmed you. Your responsibility is to forgive them. God will exercise vengeance Our job is to exercise forgiveness. It goes on to say, don't seek to do mischief to those who have done harm to you. In other words, don't get even. This is what it says when Paul writes to the Thessalonians. See that no one repays another with evil for evil. It doesn't matter what they've done to you. Nothing justifies getting even. Uh, It says, you know, wish them well. Luke 6, 28, which is um, Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount. Bless those who curse you. Grieve at their calamities. In other words, don't get happy when they receive justice. Grieve instead of their calamities. Again, Proverbs says, do not rejoice when your enemy falls. Do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles. That, that's a hard one for me. I love justice. You know, whether it's in a good movie or whether it's in real life, I love justice. But we're actually, according to Jesus in Matthew 5, but I say to you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. So it's not just forgive them. Jesus takes it to a whole new level. Love them and pray for them. And when he's saying pray for them, he's saying pray for them out of love, not out of vengeance. Seek reconciliation with them. Romans 12, 18. If possible. In other words, from our side of a disagreement, we should not have enemies. You can't You can't control if somebody likes you or doesn't like you. You can't control if somebody's saying bitter things about you or has bitter feelings towards you. But you can control how you respond to them, how you feel about them. So as as much as it depends upon you, Paul says, you do your part to be at peace with everybody. And finally, it says, be always willing to come to their relief. This is in the law. This is in Exodus it says, if you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey wandering away, you shall surely return it to him. Not, not your friend's donkey, your enemy's donkey. You don't shoot it and go, not how you're going to get around. No, you take it back to his house and you give it back to him. So forgiveness is all about our heart and how we respond to ones who have harmed us. But here's what forgiveness is isn't forgiveness is not the absence of anger towards sin that's why scripture says be angry and sin not I believe we do have to have a certain level of anger towards sin otherwise we will become tolerant we'll become too complacent okay so it's not feeling good about what was bad. In other words, if somebody does something wrong, we should be upset about it. We should want justice. We don't need to hold on to vindictive desires, but instead, we can hand them over to the one who judges justly. And can I tell you that there really is only one who judges justly? We we live in a country full of laws that are meant to execute justice. But we give the authority of executing that justice of the sentencing to a judge. And we see times when judges make decisions that are so unjust because of political position, because of, of the way they, they see life and humanity. We want to turn vengeance, we want to turn justice over to a just judge, one who will not mete out excessive punishment for a sin, but we don't want one who will not give any punishment for a wrongdoing. Peter says this, who, speaking of Jesus, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Jesus said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. I have paid the price for their sin. Now, if they refuse to accept to completely accept my work of the forgiveness of their sin, then I know that you are going to deal with them justly. So I'm not going to take revenge on those who reject what I've done. Father, you will do that. I instead have given myself fully. I've committed my spirit into your hands, and I've committed fully to whatever is necessary to bring them to salvation, to bring them to righteousness. So... Forgiveness is not the absence of serious consequences of sin either. It doesn't mean that we just, you know, as parents, when a child misbehaves, when a child, you know, uh, lies or does direct disobedience, we don't say, I forgive you, now go ahead, and there's no consequence for what you did. We forgive them, we love them, but there is always a consequence. Sending a person to jail doesn't mean you're unforgiving. If somebody has done something to you or to a family member that the requirement is jail, then if we testify against them and they receive the justice for their penalty, that is not unforgiveness. That's justice. A couple of weeks ago, somebody broke into my truck, broke out my passenger window. there and said, if this person is caught, do you- And uh, so I gave a list, and the police officer there said, if this person is caught, do you want to prosecute? And I had to think for a minute, because part of me wanted to say, absolutely. But then for a moment, I thought, who would be motivated to break my window, to not steal everything, but just to steal enough stuff that they could sell in a pawn shop so they could do whatever. And I said, no, if you catch them, I do not want to press charges. I had to reconcile that in my heart. So there are consequences for sin. There are consequences for what people do. So early in our ministry, um, we were um, young married pastors in, in our church, and, a, and um, we had been part of removing our youth pastor from position because of sexual misconduct. That caused so much hurt. In our church, um, the stress in our congregation was intense because there were all these issues of forgiveness and unforgiveness. The husband and wife eventually divorced, and and that wife came to my wife probably 25 years later, after she had finally worked out forgiveness in her heart. Been in our congregation, there were there were issues of unforgiveness, unforgiveness toward him, unforgiveness toward us for not exercising more forgiveness you know, and kind of give them a second chance. So there's always consequence for sin. Even when there's forgiveness, there's always consequence for that which is done. Sometimes there are painful consequences, but that doesn't mean that it's an unforgiving spirit. And I want to talk to you about three biblical examples where forgiveness was executed, but also consequences for the sin were meted out even though there was forgiveness. The first one is the punishment For David, who, you remember, when the prophet chose the king to follow Saul, the Lord said to Nathan, Man looks on the outside, I look on the inside, I'm looking for a man after my own heart. And David was chosen to be king because he was seen by God to be a man after his heart. But then look at, David commits adultery with Bathsheba. Um... In order to cover his sin, he brings Uriah, her husband, back from battle, encourages him to go in and to lie with his wife. Uriah, who is so committed to the king and so committed to his fellow soldiers, refuses to even go into the house. He sleeps outside the front door. And so now David's got a problem. So he commands the head of the army, to put Uriah back in battle and to put him on the front line where David knew he would be killed. And so Uriah dies in battle. So the Lord sees this. So Nathan comes to David in 2 Samuel 12. He says, Why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, have taken his wife to be your wife. And when he says you've struck him down with the sword... David didn't physically use the sword to kill him, but David made sure that Uriah would be killed when he went to battle. So Nathan's saying, I don't know, you're kind of silly here to think God didn't see what you did. So, you know, why are you despising God by doing this? And then Nathan says, here's the consequences. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house. And if you know the story of Absalom, you know that was, that was fulfilled. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel... Be 13, pretty tough indictment. Then it goes on in verse 13. David responds, I have sinned against the Lord. Duh. After he says that, here's what Nathan says. Because David recognized the sin, because he didn't try to justify it, because he didn't try to say, well, da-da-da-da-da-da-da, You know, well, if she hadn't gone naked out on the balcony, none of this would have happened. It's really her fault. Nathan responds on behalf of God. He says this, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. So even though God had forgiven him and his sin is taken away, Nathan tells him there's still going to be more consequence. However, because by this deed, you have given occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. The child also that is born to you shall surely die. So David's consequence was that he would never be a king of peace, that his wives would be taken from him and would commit sexual immorality, not in secret but in public. Everybody would know about it. And the child which Bathsheba bore him would die. Now God says, because you repented, I'm not going to kill you. And, And we still see in all of this, all of David's sin that still Jesus comes from the seed of David. Mary is of the lineage of David. Joseph is of the lineage of David. Genesis tells us that the seed of the woman will be in contention with the enemy. Jesus was born, only person ever born of the seed of woman who is of the lineage of the line of the tribe of Judah, of David. And so even because of that sin, and if you go back even further to show you how God redeems people, in the lineage of Jesus is also Rahab the harlot. So we've we've got this incredible grace executed, forgiveness shown through the lineage of Jesus up to his birth. There's also Numbers 14, the children of Israel are in the wilderness. And uh, Moses is on the mountain and Joshua and Caleb tell the people of Israel that they can go back and possess the promised land. The people are angry with them. They want to stone them because they want to go back to Egypt. And why do they want to go back to Egypt? Because of the food. It's kind of like In-N-Out was there, you know? Grilled onions. We missed the leeks and the garlics. They wanted to go back. And because of that, God intervenes and he says this to Moses. He says, I'm about to wipe out the people and I'm about to make you a great nation. I'm about to start over, and you're going to be the papa. 14.12, I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them, and I will make you a nation greater and mightier than they. Now, Moses has a godly heart because instead of saying, cool, you know, I'm going to be the father of a great nation now. I don't have to deal with all these knuckleheads. This is what he says, verse 13 and 14. Moses said to the Lord... Then the Egyptians will hear it, for by your might you brought these people up from among them, and they will tell it to the inhabitants of the land. So Moses does not want God to destroy the children of Israel, not because he loves the children of Israel, but because he loves God. He says, God, if you do this, you're going to have a bad reputation among the Egyptians because you're the one that brought them out. And they're going to say, look at what kind of God they serve. He brought them out just so he could kill them in the wilderness. And so as Moses intercedes, the Lord responds, I have pardoned them according to your word. Which, by the way, if anybody ever wants to argue that God's already determined what God's going to do and prayer doesn't change anything, take him to Numbers 14 just show them what a simple prayer does, what a simple opening of our heart before the Lord does and how the Lord says, because of your prayer, I'm going to pardon. And the thing is, understand prayers. God is moved by our prayers. God wants to, to move. And, and the thing is, understand this about Moses. Moses' prayer was God's heart. Moses wanted God to be glorified, which is God's heart to be glorified. Moses wasn't praying a prayer to his benefit. Moses was praying a prayer for God's glory to be exploded throughout all the earth. So that's the kind of prayer God answers. God doesn't answer the kind of prayer that says, God, you know, why don't you come along with me and this is what I want to do and you make it work. Moses' prayer is, God, I know who you are. I know that you love these people. I know that the nations of the earth are looking at you. And if you kill them, your name is going to be a bad name amongst them. And I don't want that to happen. That's the kind of prayer God answers. The prayer that brings glory to his name and not to our agenda. So they were forgiven, but. So God says, okay, I'm not going to kill them. But there was still a consequence for their sin. Look what it says in verses 21 and 23. 23. As I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. Surely all the men who have seen my glory and my signs which I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not listened to my voice, shall by no means see the land which I swore to their fathers. So the penalty is 40 years of wandering in the wilderness to an entire generation dies off. So even though God didn't destroy them for their sin, there was a consequence for their sin, even though he forgave them. God says, I have pardoned them, Moses, because of your sin. I have forgiven them because of your sin, but there's still a consequence. I'm not going to kill them, but they're not going to receive the promise. Their children receive the promise, but they won't. And then finally, Hebrews talks about mercy and correction. On one hand, Hebrews teaches us that all Christians, all believers are forgiven of their sin. Hebrews 8:12, I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sin no more. Hallelujah. I mean we should be dan- even I should be dancing in the street. God remembers our sin no more. That's what the Bible says. That it doesn't mean that he puts it in the back and just puts it on the shelf, it means he remembers it no more. There's no place to recall. When he's forgiven us, when we come back and say, you know, I just still feel so bad about yesterday. Please forgive me. He says, what what happened yesterday? What are you talking about? He says he remembers them no more. But on the other hand, Hebrews also teaches that our Heavenly Father disciplines us, and sometimes he disciplines us severely. It's not just a slap on the hand. Hebrews 12, 6, those whom the Lord loves, He disciplines, and He scourges every son whom He receives. So even though we have forgiveness, there are still consequences for our sin. You know, probably the most profound mass killer of the last 50 years was Ted Bundy, Um, kidnapped, raped and murdered a number of girls. He was caught. And uh, the day before he was executed, um, he gave an interview to Dr. Dobson. And you can go on the internet, you know, on YouTube, and you can see the interview. And Ted Bundy had grown up in the church, but he got addicted to pornography. And the deeper and the deeper he went in, the more he acted out on it, the more he acted out, the less fulfilled he was, and the more violent evil he became. When he was in prison, he came to recognize the forgiveness of Jesus for all his sin. But in the interview, he says this, While I know Jesus has fully forgiven me, I also recognize there's a what I did. That's a man who understood the fullness of forgiveness but he also understood the fullness of justice and consequence for his sin. So even though God gives us forgiveness, he he gives us consequence to teach us, hopefully to teach us enough to where we're not going to go back and do it again, but to understand that grace is not cheap. Grace is not something we can just throw around and flippantly use whenever we want to get a get-out-of-jail-free card. Grace is meted out with justice and justice sometimes has consequences that will cause us pain but for our good and to the glory of the lord and so our sins are forgiven and forgotten in one sense and they no longer bring down the wrath of the judge upon us but our sins still bring down the painful correction of our heavenly father this is what psalm 99:8 says you answered them o lord our god you were to them god who forgives though you took vengeance on their deeds. So again, you're the God who forgives. You answered, you forgave them, but you still took vengeance on what they did. There was still a consequence for what they did. So forgiveness is not absence of the serious consequences of sins. Now there's also the issue of what about forgiveness for the unrepentant? What if somebody does something to harm you? What if, what if somebody, uh, you know, a few weeks ago—I don't know how many weeks ago—another person who had taken a number of lives uh, was executed, and the families begged him, "Please, before they kill you, tell us where the bodies are." He shook his finger and refused, and died laughing. There is an unrepentant heart, and there is, an, there is an issue God has with the unrepentant. Forgiveness of an unrepentant person doesn't look the same as forgiveness for a repentant person. In the Bible terms, forgiveness is never applied to an unrepentant person. Let me say that again. Biblically, forgiveness is never applied to an unrepentant person. Now, let me, let me clarify that. The person is not released from actions they're not sorry for, but you must release them from your heart. So the person doesn't receive forgiveness, but that doesn't give you license to to maintain vengeance in your heart. So your heart still has to be reconciled with God that that He is going to meet justice out. But that person does not have to receive your forgiveness if they have not repented for what they've done. But you can't have bitterness and, and, and anger in your heart. Luke's, Jesus says this in the book of Luke, Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, forgive him. There's a sense in which full forgiveness is only possible when there is repentance. Repentance. So how do we respond when a person doesn't repent? Well, Jesus is the one who tells us. In Matthew 18, which we just read about this wicked um, servant, um, Jesus says this, and if he refuses to hear them, tell them to the church. Now, this is before, this is Matthew 18, where you confront somebody who commits a sin. And basically the process, if they sin, go to your brother and say, hey, you've sinned against me. If your brother says, forget you, I'm not going to, do with that. It says, take a couple other friends with you. Sit down with them and say, Hey, look, it. You guys, this needs to be reconciled in your relationship. And he says, Forget you again. Then take him before the elders of the church. Now, this is talking about a brother. This isn't talking about a neighbor who's shot your dog. You know, you're not going to take him before the elders of the church because he's not part of that community. This is talking about community, and you take him before the elders. Then it says, if he refuses to hear them, the elders then tell the church. But if he refuses to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax gatherer. And that is you don't have fellowship with them. You break fellowship. You, you excommunicate them from community. Luke 6, 27, 28, Jesus says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, Pray for those who spitefully use you. So even though they are not released, even though they are suffering the consequences of their unrepentant heart by the breaking of fellowship, Jesus says you still pray for them, you still forgive them, you still bless them, you still make sure your heart stays right, even though theirs isn't. So we're commanded to love our enemy, to pray for those who persecute us, to do good to those who hate us. If they refuse to to repent, we can hand over our anger to God. We can still seek to do good, but understand God will execute justice on that unrepentant heart. We cannot, we cannot, however, carry through reconciliation or intimacy for someone who's not repentant. In other words, you can't. You, you can't continue a fellowship with someone who continues to sin and refuses to repent of it. About forgiveness. First of all, when we say all this, we need to understand forgiveness is not something we earn from God. It's not like I've done something wrong, so I've got to do enough things good so that God will eventually say, okay, debt's been paid, you're not guilty anymore. Because Jesus already did all that. We need to understand whatever sin we commit, Jesus already paid the price for it. So our forgiveness is grace, which is unmerited. Unmerited means unearned. Unearned favor with God. So let's just look at what the Bible says. So it it flows from the heart, satisfied with the mercy of God, rejoicing at the cancellation of our own sin. Okay, so the person who has through mercy been born from above, can't be the same anymore. In other words, once you've received forgiveness, you can't be the same person you were before salvation. Now, this is what the Bible says. You can't go on sinning as before since the seed of God now lives within us. First John 3, 9, Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Now, when he says he cannot sin, what it means is this, is God looks at you through His Son. It doesn't mean you're perfect. I've, I have dealt with some people who have picked up a theology off of this verse that say because they're saved, they cannot sin anymore. That is not true. I know every one of you in this room. That is not true. That is a false doctrine. What it's saying here is that the consequent of sin is not held against us anymore because Jesus paid the price. God doesn't look at us as sinners because He looks at us through Jesus. There still is the requirement of repentance and asking for forgiveness. Number two, he who walks according to the flesh. um, We don't walk according to the flesh any longer, but now we're to walk according to the Spirit. Romans 8, 4. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. When we are forgiven of our sin, we are led by the Spirit. Romans 8 and Galatians 5. Romans 8, 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Galatians 5, 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So if you truly accepted the forgiveness and the work of the cross, then your life, you are led by the Spirit of God. You are not led by your human Rules and your human view of how life is to be treated. So God is at work in him to bring about, to will and to bring about God's good pleasure. Philippians 2 13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. When we forgive from the heart, it's a fruit of the Spirit. Philippians 2.13, for it is God. I'm sorry, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. We have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer us who live, but Christ who lives in us. Galatians 2, 20. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And finally, we're a new creation. If any man is in Christ Jesus, for in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but we're a new creation. So he's saying, look, I don't care if you're a Gentile, I don't care if you're a Jew. In Jesus, you're saved. And so we cannot, again, the point of all this, we cannot say that we are saved and we've received the forgiveness of the cross of Jesus and have unforgiveness in our heart towards somebody else. Because that says to God, this is what Jesus says, that says to God, you have not fully received the forgiveness God gave to you because if you had, there is no way you would ever not be able to forgive anybody because it's Christ living in you. Let's talk, you know, everybody knows John 3.16. John 3.17 says, For God sent not his world into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, there is no exact verse that talks about forgiving yourself. But there are many passages that refer to the sin of unbelief. Um, and it's possible that, I think it's possible that it's just two different ways of saying the same thing. To not be able to forgive yourself is to not believe that you've been fully forgiven by God. Just let that sink in. If you've done something that you're having a difficult time forgiving yourself of, you need to take a step back and ask yourself, how much have I really received the forgiveness of Jesus? Because if Jesus has forgiven that, then you have no right to not allow His forgiveness to be manifest in your life and forgive yourself. I already said it, Romans 8.1. Now there's no condemnation of those in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. To continue to condemn yourself after receiving forgiveness is to deny faith and to crucify Jesus again. Now, I'm not saying that. It's what the Bible says. Hebrews 6.6. If they fall away, to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God, and put Him to open shame. So in other words, this is talking also about people who have accepted Christ and then walk away and then want to come back and want to do it again and fall away. That's to say they didn't receive forgiveness in the first time. And what you're doing is you're crucifying Jesus over and over and over. And the same thing is true if you don't forgive yourself. If you don't forgive yourself, you're crucifying Jesus again. You're saying his forgiveness wasn't sufficient for me, and therefore I can't forgive myself. So I need to crucify him again and keep crucifying him again until I'm convinced that I'm worthy to be forgiven. <clears throat> Let me clear that up for you right now. You're not worthy to be forgiven. You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're not pretty. I don't care what the help says. When they talk about the use, use good, use kind, none of, that, none of that matters when it comes to salvation. All that matters is do you fully accept your forgiveness here's what Hebrews 4 3 through 6 says for we who believe do not enter that rest as he said so I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest now he's talking he's writing to the Hebrews and he's talking about what we talked about in numbers where the children of Israel were not allowed to go into the promised land because of their disobedience of wanting to go back to Egypt So, in that heart, he says, "...although the works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way. God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this place, they shall not enter my rest." Which is what he said about the children of Israel going into the Promised Land. "...since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter." because of disobedience. Here's what that passage is saying. We enter into the promised land of God's forgiveness by fully embracing God's grace. The children of Israel did not fully appreciate and embrace the freedom God had given them by bringing them out of Egypt. And the writer of Hebrews is correlating to this. It's to say... The pleasure of that sin, when I confessed my sin and I was brought out, I wasn't fully released from that pleasure, so I want to go back. We haven't fully received that forgiveness. We find rest when we really believe that all of our sins have been washed away. This is exactly what it means when people say you need to forgive yourself. If you ever deal with anybody who says, I just can't forgive myself for this, Take them to Jesus first. Ask them this question. Do you think Jesus can forgive you of this? And if they say no, walk them through the Bible again and let them know that maybe you never fully understood what it meant to be born again. Maybe you never fully understood the price that was paid for your salvation because if you really understand that, you'll not only forgive yourself, but you'll forgive anybody who harms you. We have to develop and maintain the capacity to forgive others and to forgive ourselves. Those who are devoid of the power to forgive, I believe, are devoid of the power to love. Let me say it again. Those who are unable to forgive are also unable to fully love because we're commanded to love. So if we cannot forgive, we cannot love. And if we cannot love, then we need to go back and we need to have a conversation with God about why is it so hard for us to love people when it was so easy for God to love us. I want to end by a quote from Dr. Martin Luther King. <clears throat> he said, There is some good in the worst of us, and some evil in the best of us. When we discover this, we are less prone to hate our enemies. Forgiveness is not always easy. At times it feels more painful than the wound we suffered to forgive the one who inflicted it. But without forgiveness, there can be no peace. And this is a man who was persecuted intensely because Of the civil rights he wanted for those who suffered because of the color of their skin. So forgiveness of others and forgiveness of ourself is not an elective in the walk with Christ. If you cannot forgive others, if you cannot forgive yourself, then you have not fully embraced God's forgiveness of you. And if you haven't done that, since heaven is only the place for the unforgiven, it's only those who have been fully forgiven of their sins, washed in the blood of the Lamb. Jesus has said, you don't have a place in heaven if you do not understand the forgiveness that's required of you because of the forgiveness that was given to you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your word. We thank you, God, for your forgiveness. Lord, I ask for each person in this room, any who are struggling with unforgiveness, God, I pray that you will take them to the place to take them back to remember how great a salvation they received, how great a forgiveness they received, how everything they've done how small or how large, has been completely and totally forgiven. In fact, you say it's been forgotten because it's been washed away by the blood of the Lamb. God, may we have the revelation of that is what forgiveness is, to love those who persecute us, to pray for those who offend us, to love those who reject us. May we walk in the true heart of forgiveness so that the ultimate goal is this, that you would be glorified in all the earth. And we thank you and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.